video, and there are videos throughout the week um, that will be, hopefully, your pastor is mindful and remembers things to uh, teach us. Morning, I'm I'm. I'm excited to turn to a new book. I, I've shared with you guys before, uh, and I've told you about uh, my love for the minor prophets. You know, you have the major prophets. Uh, you have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel that have these lengthy... Whoa, hi. Hello. I can read. That's good. All right. Um, they have these, uh, these lengthy texts, and a lot of them are written poetically and, and things like that. And, and in the minor prophets, you might have some of that, but a lot of times what you get is a summary statement. And really, that's what we find here in, in the book of Haggai. And I, uh, I enjoyed this name as I was reading it and seeing some of the translations and the transliterations out of Hebrew. It's actually Haggai. Haggai. It's, uh, I, I just enjoy being able to make that pronunciation. I will not continue to, though, because that will thoroughly distract you every time I do it. So, anyway, uh, it's like Hanukkah and all these other kind of things that you see along the way. Um, but transliterated into English, this name Haggai, and I'll talk more about his name because I think it, it matters to, to, the, to the text as well, because many times in the prophets, you see that their names reflect their message. And what we find here is that same thing. So I uh, invite you to turn to the book of Haggai. We would plan to be here for the next three, this week and two more, so three Sundays total. Um, today we're going to look at the entirety of chapter one, and then uh, the next two weeks we'll see uh, the, the chapter two split up there. And if, you are, if your Bible is like mine, it's only two pages. So good luck in finding it. Actually, if you go to Matthew and then turn left three books, you will find it because it is close to the end of the Old Testament. Let's stand together as we honor God and His Word today. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came up by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because, my, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnants of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them. 
And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and, all, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord, their, uh, the Lord of hosts, their God. And on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Lord, let us see the true message here for us today as we examine this, this message to your people in a time of restoration. May we receive your message the same today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I mentioned just a moment ago, its place in the Old Testament is one of the minor prophets. It's only three from the end. Haggai and Zechariah were contemporaries. As a matter of fact, if you turn the page, you'll be in the book of Zechariah, and Zechariah is considered a minor prophet, but it is a much lengthier book than this one. You'll see in verse 1, it says, In the eighth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Iddo. We're not going to get into his message there, but I think it's worth considering that Haggai and Zechariah were messengers to the people of Judah at the same time, in the same moments. We have Haggai in the sixth month, this is declared, and Zechariah in the eighth month. Zechariah very much deals with visions and, and what it will look like at the Lord's restoration. In Haggai, we actually have very clear instruction from God, right? You can't really get confused about what God is telling them to do here and why. But the question we end up asking then is, why is it here for us today? And that's really the question for the word of the Lord as a whole. If you see this passage, it very specifically deals with the children of Judah at a very uh, specific moment of history. And really, in, in one of the commentators, Walter Kaiser, who is a phenomenal historian that of the 20th century, a great writer. A lot of the texts I read about the Old Testament in, in, uh, in seminary came from him. He wrote a commentary, and he pinned down with other research, I'm sure, the exact date that this was proclaimed. August 520 B.C. Now, if you are a student of the Old Testament, that 520 is probably an interesting number. Because it was 70 years earlier that the, that the city of Jerusalem came under attack from Babylon, from a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. And you read about him particularly in the book of Daniel, and you see the accounts of the fall of Jerusalem through the prophet Jeremiah, and you see it also in the concluding uh, passages of the books of the kings. And, and in between, we have... So a little bit about that time, Daniel talks about some of that time in exile, and, and, and his prophecies talk about the hope of restoration and really the hope of eternity. And now, as the, the children of Israel are allowed to the return, we see that God still has some things to say to his people. Um, this, this moment here is declared throughout um, this book, he continues to talk about this, uh, the, the reign of King Darius, or Darius, I might say it both ways. As I read it, I say Darius. As I say it, I intend to say Darius. 
it's just kind of how my brain is working with that. But it's a very particular time. Uh, the King Cyrus, who was prophesied in the major prophets, had offered restoration to the children of Judah to return to Jerusalem. So a remnant from Babylon, who had been there for 50, 60, 70 years, returns to Jerusalem and lays the foundation for the temple about 20 years before this time. And we can find that, as, as you look at those things, that the people got back and they, they lay, relayed the foundations. Now, think about that. It doesn't take long for a neglected place to go into ruin. But when you look at what happened to the temple in Jerusalem, when Nebuchadnezzar came in, he absolutely destroyed it. His armies absolutely destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and left it for nothing. They, they set it on fire and they caught the gold uh, off, that was the, uh, like the wallpaper, in buckets as, the, as it melted off the rocks. They were taking all that they could. It was absolutely just a, it was a rock pile. And it was left there for 60, 70 years. Now think about buildings that you see in our community that are left vacant for just a few years. What happens to them? Well, this was, not a, this was a stone building, but as you see, the wood, wooden structures of our day, they just start to fall in on themselves with neglect, with, with uh, vagrancy, with vandalism. And, and that's, the, that's the kind of thing that happened here in Jerusalem because Jerusalem was a continual threat to the kingdoms around it. They wanted nothing left there. But the people of Judah kept their identity through this time. They did not... Uh, have the same fate as the northern kingdom of Israel when Assyria pulled them out. Then Assyria forced them to intermarry with the peoples of the lands and sent them back in. You have places like Samaria and, and all, all north of Jerusalem where you have uh, the loss of the national identity. This did not happen with Judah, and it came as a result of God's promise ultimately leading to Jesus. Because what we find is that in the New Testament, Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. Now, that was a very fast-forward picture of what had happened, right? There's a lot more to it than that. But um, in Ezra chapter 4, we see another account of this passage. And I handily marked it in my Bible. It's about a thousand page, or 500 pages earlier in here. But in chapter 4 and 5 of the book of Ezra, we actually see an account of the same thing. Let's look at chapter 4 in Ezra. It'll be on the screen if you haven't found it. But it says, When the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the fathers' houses and said to them, let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do, and we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esar Haddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Yeshua, that's Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses in Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as the king Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. So this is the previous king to Darius. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So 
there was opposition. They didn't get along with each other. They, they you know, had contention with it. And the people of the land kept the children of Judah, discouraged them. But what does it say in Haggai that they did? Well, it says that they went about building their own houses. And then later, let me check my notes here, verse 24 in chapter 4 of Ezra, it says, after all of these things, then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped, and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So, you have the same thing happening here. And then in verse 16 in chapter 5, so I'll flip over there. I kept my notes in Haggai, so I keep flipping back over there. Um, verse 16 says, Then this Sheshbazar, I'll come back to him, came and laid the foundations of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And from that time until now, it has been in building and it is not yet finished. Okay, so Sheshbazar and Zerubbabel, which are both fun names to say, are the same guy. You have the Persian name, Sheshbazar, and you have Zerubbabel, the uh, Jewish name. Does that make sense? Same guy. So, um, and if you if you paid attention in, in Daniel, you'll see that uh, what, what did Nebuchadnezzar do to the children of, of Judah as soon as they got into the courts in Babylon? He attempted to change their names to Babylonian names. Same kind of thing happening here. We also see um, Ezra, Nehemiah, they, they all speak of this restoration of Jerusalem. Ezra particularly deals with rebuilding the temple. Nehemiah talked about rebuilding the wall, all those, those kinds of things along the way. So we got these different pieces of the story that all come together. Now, why does this matter? Because the oppression of the nations discouraged the people of God from doing what they were called to do. Why did that matter? Because the temple was the visible presence of the worship of God. And that day, that was where the people returned to, to have worship to God. Now, the reason for this exile was, a, was discipline upon the people of Judah. They had not had a Sabbath rest for the land for the almost 500 years. And what did God say? There will be 70 years of rest for the land. And in that, now is the return of the people of Judah to their homeland. That's what's happening here. But still, they are distracted. In our lives today, we do well to pay attention to what happened here in Haggai chapter 1. In the New Testament, we see that the fulfillment of worship is found in this man who is God, Jesus. Jesus, in his ascension sends the Spirit to inhabit His people. And He says in John 4, remember he, he tells the woman at the well, there will come a day where we will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. This is the fulfillment of salvation. And this is the day that we live in now. That's where the church is called to be. So Christ, in fulfillment of this, now what happens at His death a few years later, in the terms of history, about 40 years later, the temple is permanently destroyed by the Romans. And there is a day that that restoration will come as we continue into history here. It has not yet come. But what we find through the New Testament is that we 
are now that temple. We are the temple. We are the living sacrifices, as it says in Romans chapter 12, and it echoes throughout the, the New Testament, that God has called His people to be His presence, and that we now are called to live according to that calling on our lives. Now, many people will read a book like Haggai and say, we need to go build a new building. I don't think you're paying attention if you think that's what he's talking about. Because when we start looking at what the temple is, we can look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and see how God describes it when we defile the temple. And I marked it. There it is. I have a nice little orange tab, but it hid itself for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when he talks about our physical behavior, he says, don't defile yourselves in the immorality. But he says in verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, Basically, what, was, what Paul is warning against in Corinthians is treating our bodies the way the Israelites and the Jews had treated the temple. They had, had pagan worship in the temple. They, took, they allowed other deities or other, other religions to come and have their place there. And God was constantly calling them back to the point where he took his hands off them and let history happen. Let that destruction come at the hands of Babylon. But now he calls them back. Jesus has not yet come. The Messiah is still promised, and he tells us to do something along the way, to bring intentional restoration to the people of God. And this phrase appears more than once here, but we're going to come to it when it says, Consider your ways. And this stomps on my own toes. And I just took my boots off, so I'm barefoot. I don't even have any protection. Verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts. This is the first declaration through Haggai. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. This is the declaration that God says. This is what the people say. Now here is what I say. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? So many times in our, our lives in this day as well, they got caught up in their personal needs versus the needs of worshiping the Lord and the purpose in which we have been placed on earth. And I'm not saying you shouldn't live in a nice house or, or whatever. And, and, of course, paneling has gone out of vogue in our culture like it is. I mean, I grew up in a house that had impressive paneling. It was built in the mid-'70s, and it had impressive paneling. And the pictures I've seen of that house since we, we sold it, it's now painted. Anyway, uh, it, that is not necessarily what's in fashion today. But in this day they were spending all of their time and all of their resources to make sure they had a nice house to live in, but neglected the place where they were to meet the Lord together. 
And you know what? That's what the kind of thing that we do in our lives today when we start worrying about our personal entertainments or our comforts instead of how God speaks to us in our lives and how we're to honor Him. And it's a hard thing for us to come to terms with, honestly. We don't like this place where we see that we have had our, our focus in the wrong spot. You know what happens, what, what it's called when you place anything ahead of God? It's idolatry. And very easily, humans, us, we put anything and everything in God's place. We get very caught up in the condition of what we see. We, we drive by some of these homes that are dilapidated, or we see a, a facility that's been vacant for a while, and we see the state that it's in, whether it's a business, whether it's a church building, whatever. But what God is constantly calling us back to is first to bring our lives to the place where we realize our need. Our need is Him. And when, our, when we focus our hearts on Him and that, and that struggle that we face in our lives, He brings redemption. He brings healing. He brings restoration. And that brings Him honor. And how did He, how does He do it? Well, He, he did it through Jesus. You see, He's calling the people back here to this place of worship in Jerusalem. Now in our day, He's calling us to set our hearts back on Jesus. And say, look at your own lives, examine your house, clean up the mess, and bring glory to me. This thought of repentance is not a popular thing in any time in history. We like what we like, and you can mind your own business otherwise. Well, not to get political, but the end, the end of that thought process is when one nation decides it owns another one. That is the culmination of sinful idolatry. (laughs) Is that I decided I want that land and it's mine. And that's happened throughout history. That's what happened to the children of Judah here with Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar wanted the gold. He wanted the slaves. So he took them over. But what does God tell us to do in response? He says in verse 5, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Now I've worn that pair of pants that had a hole in the pocket. Anybody been there? As a matter of fact, my sock has a hole in the bottom of it right now, but I don't worry about that. I don't think my foot's going to fall out. But what happens when you put the, whatever it is in your pocket and there's a hole in it? It's gone. You just keep walking, especially if you're walking in the dirt. You don't hear the jingle jangle hit the, hit the ground. And you've lost whatever is there. And this reminds me of the days and. and when, when, we, when I was in college, I lived in eastern New Mexico, and all the farmers who, and, and I have never met, and this isn't condemnation on anybody, but I've never met anybody who can pray like a farmer. Especially when it's dry land farming. 
because as, as Dennis prayed earlier, we need the snow that we see on the ground. Is it still snow? It's still snowing. We need that. Now, it causes some treachery along the way, but the ground so desperately needs it. Why? Because in June, in July, when the heat of the summer is coming, we need that, that foundation that comes in the winter months with the snow. But I remember in days in this little, little church I first served in, it was full of peanut farmers. Goober Gulch, eastern New Mexico. And th- these guys could pray. And you know what? God heard them pray. And it rained. Sometimes it rained a whole lot more than you thought you did. In Portales, where I went to college, 18th Street. I don't know who designed this street. But they built it like this and not like this. And so it was the 18th Street River. Every time you got one of those big rainstorms that come through there, it just went through there. I'm sure somebody had a point in doing that. All it really was was a big mess, and you hope you had a high-centered vehicle. God hears our prayer when our hearts turn back to him. How do we know? Let's continue in verse 7. Tansy's done. All right. Thus says the Lord of hosts, again, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. So if you think that it's not working because God isn't pleased with you, it's quite possible that that's the case. That's what he says right here. You kept building this up, thinking one thing, but I tell you, I'm going to blow it away because it's not why you're here. And this, we are called to radical obedience to the Lord. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house, Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, and the hills, on the grain, on the new wine, and the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast, on all their labors. Now, this uh, August of the year, in that day, was when they would expect a harvest. You're getting towards autumn, right? That's when you start picking the crops. Instead, what was happening? Nothing. Why? Because they had been disobedient to what God called them to. The question rises then, what now? What next? Thankfully, the heading to the next passage shows us the result. The people obey the Lord. Then Zerubbabel, fun to say, the son of Shealtiel, another name that's fun to say, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, Name number three, that's fun to say. The high priest with all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. They heard the Lord and they feared the Lord. Now fear, fear that's respect. Fear is understanding the power of the one who's in authority. It's not necessarily that you're scared of them. Although, if there's anybody you're going to be scared of in the universe, the Lord Almighty would probably should be up there. It's understanding who holds the authority. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. 
I am with you, declares the Lord. So they repented, and God immediately responds. And, and especially, we'll get back to the day of it. I am with you, declares the Lord. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. Why did they say that every time? Because it was like saying Greg Duke or David Britton or Dennis Shearer. It's how they identified these names. That's first and last name. This is so-and-so, son of so-and-so, all right? The spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnants of the people, the remnant, the small people, that had, the number of people that had come back. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord, their host, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Now, I want to bounce back very quickly. Notice the date there, the 24th day of the month. Go back and in the sixth month. Go back to verse 1. Sixth month on the first day of the month. 23 days. Now, in the, in the grand picture of history, how much is 23 days? Three and a half weeks. Not even three and a half weeks. What were you doing three and a half weeks ago? Three weeks ago was the Super Bowl. We've moved on. Right? Nobody cares about the Rams. We've moved on. But in that amount of time, the people really did do what God told them to. They considered their ways. And in response, they said, my house is fine. Let us go to the temple. Now, in that day today, we are called to the same. To consider our ways and to look at the condition of the temple. It has very little to do, if anything, with the physical plant that is what we call Aberdeen Baptist Church. It has everything to do with the condition of our hearts. When God does His work, He transforms His people. Do you think that God's greatest concern was the condition of the temple or the hearts of the people? Here's the deal, is that the condition of the temple is a reflection of the hearts of the people. And when they came together and set their hearts on the work of the Lord, it brought Him glory. He blessed them. And so that harvest time, the days that were ahead, he brought great abundance. Now, in the next couple of weeks in chapter 2, we will see that we don't get much further into history. This is about a three-month period that Haggai speaks in. He's, like I said last week, he's the pinch hitter coming in in the grand picture of people like Jeremiah and Daniel and Isaiah, right? He's coming and speaking something. God speaks in history. And he does not neglect his worship. And so I ask us today, as we read this, as we look at this, as we consider these things, many of you might not have ever read the book of Haggai before. How's your heart? How's my heart? Are we returning to the Lord together?
our hearts are desperately wicked. It doesn't take much for me to fall off, to trip up, to sin. But God consistently in His grace and His goodness is calling us to repentance and calling us back to Him. And when we see that this picture is fulfilled ultimately through Christ, we see that He's not given up on you. As long as you have breath, there's a, there's a chance. He blesses obedience. So, will we be like the Assyrian people returned to their land and holding on to their idols? Will we be like the Jewish people here returned to their place and called to restore true worship of the Lord. I can't make that decision for you. I can say that I am under great conviction by this text. Why? Because I continually need the the Father. Who will we trust today? Let's pray. God, you are good. You are faithful to us. Thank you that you are um, you are merciful in times of trial, in times of struggle. As we consider our state, and I mean our, our state of being, let us be reminded of our need for you. Help us to bless you this day, Lord. I pray that you call us to return to true worship, to keep our hearts and minds set on your goodness. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together. The altar will be open for prayer and invite you to be encouraged through song as we bless you.